Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We are kind of in that time of year that sometimes we sort of think of as talking season. Now, if you talk for a living, you like talking season. This is sort of your time to shine. <laughs> so as a as a person who uh, is a talker for a living, I guess I am uh, kind of very much excited for the start of talking season here, which means from time to time, it will be interesting what some of the talk is about Georgia moving into the upcoming year. We've given you some of that already here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Manager this week. I'm going to give you another example of that here right now. Cole Kubik's a great SEC analyst working with SEC Network, does a radio show there in Birmingham there as well, got his own podcast too. And he said something this, I should say it was this week, I guess it would have been last week, but whatever it was, I thought it was a little bit of an odd evaluation of UGA, at least based on what I think is probably true from the dogs on kind of both sides of the ball. And listen, you know, we don't have very thin skin around here. Somebody can be critical of UGA. We're sort of fine with that. But I do think using a little bit of a criticism of Georgia based on what he'd seen from G-Day as a setup for what Georgia actually is for the upcoming season, I think that's probably a valuable use of our time. So why don't we do this? This is from Cole Kublik's podcast. He was kind of bouncing around the SEC looking at the various performances from the various spring games. And there was one thing he sort of now he said, listen, let me also give you some context. He said a thousand good things about Georgia. And obviously you'd have to because Georgia is obviously going to be the preseason number one team in the country. But that's not really all that interesting because we've heard that said, uh, you know, many, many times. But he did zero in on it in his little description of this on Twitter. He said glaring deficiency for UGA. He did kind of point out a, a little bit of what he perceived to be a negative about Georgia coming off G-Day, which I think is worth talking about. So this is Cole Kublik from his podcast uh, on what he sees is some trouble for the Georgia defensive line. Here's Cole. Up front is where I was worried because, and I know this is, there's a lot of, like we mentioned, a lot of veterans on this offensive line and you've got movement and you've got tight ends, you got extra help. However, I wanted to see more disruption from, from the front and, and I, I didn't feel like we got a ton of it. Um, it just, it, it kind of wasn't there. Like I didn't see Nazir Stackhouse really flash a whole lot. Um, Tyron Ingham's Dawson here and there in the backfield, making a play or two, uh, saw 35 off the edge, rushed the passer a couple times. He looked flexible and looked quick, had some good twitch, but it just, it's, and maybe it's because of what we've been used to and it's just not the same as that. But all in all, I think coming away from the Georgia spring game sounds crazy. I get it. Keep in mind, Georgia's on a different standard right now. We're not measuring them against everybody else. We're measuring them against Georgia, and it just kind of doesn't feel like it has up front. And that might not matter. It might not be a huge deal, but that part's also won them a lot of games in the past and made them very difficult to deal with. So if you wanted to be super fatalistic about this, let's say you weren't a Georgia fan or you wanted to stir up Georgia fans, one of the things you could do is – Ah, uh, this is like a, looks like a Georgia defensive line that looks like it could have used Bear Alexander on Saturday, right? Because that's what Cole Kublik, he's not saying that about Bear, but he is saying, I didn't see the kind of dynamic level of play from the Georgia defensive line I'm used to seeing. And you could pair that with the Bear Alexander news. And if you wanted to really kind of spin that into a problem, a reason to be worried, well, you know, maybe you could do that. You're probably not surprised to find out. I don't know that I quite share Cole's level of concern when it comes to the Georgia defensive line for a couple of reasons. A, 
even in the absence of Bear Alexander, listen, I don't mind telling you, I thought Bear was a really good player. I thought he had a bright future. Um, you know, if, if he could, you know, do the things that Georgia needed him to do and be a part of the situation that Georgia needed him to be, I would love for Bear Alexander to still be on this roster, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's fairly obvious that Bear is a very promising prospect, but he's not here anymore. And even with his absence, I think I've said that I've still sort of expect this Georgia defensive line to be the very best in the country. I mean, I'd be very surprised by the end of the year if the Georgia defensive line, which typically speaking is an overwhelming strength for the dogs, if that isn't true once again. And yes, I know Jalen Carter also isn't here anymore, and you're still trying to trying to kind of replace three first round picks from um you know the previous season there as well. But I think there's a lot to like about this Georgia defensive line. And I don't think that Cole's concern there, even if it was accurate based on what he saw on G Day, I don't know that it's going to be reflected by what we see this fall. And some of that's because of guys like Tyron Ingram Dawkins and Christian Miller and the development they're undergoing right now. Going into a bigger role, you could say the same thing for Warren Brinson. You could say the same thing for even for Zion Logue, who's been on the football field. But a lot of these guys growing into a bigger role here this season. In fact, after G-Day this past, uh, going back to what, a couple Saturdays ago, uh, Kirby Smart talked about, you know, what's next for guys like Miller and Ingram Dawkins and, guy, uh, and guys who will be asked to do more this year, especially with so many big names no longer here. This is what Kirby said about his defensive line after G-Day. Just work, just reps. Crystal's come a long way. Um, he's, he's gotten better. Um, he's really good. Jiro um, knows and he can stunt and move. Um, he increased his pass rush ability some this offseason and became better. Um, excited about what he can do and really excited about the, the, the group, the depth in that unit. You know, we don't have a dominant uh, player in that unit, but we've got really good depth. And uh, we'll do some things with the backers around them to, to, to create havoc for people. So at the end there, Smart says, hey, you know, we don't have that maybe dominant player that we've had, but we're going to do some stuff with linebackers around them. That'll help us create havoc. So some of that, to me, sort of speaks to young players who have their chance to develop and emerge the same way that Bear Alexander may would have done over the course of last season. Have you heard anybody yet who hasn't had plenty of very good things to say about Jordan Hall? Go back to Terrence Edwards, the uh, terrific former Georgia wide receiver who had a chance to visit Georgia practice during the spring. He came back raving by, by you know, what he saw from Jordan Hall. And I believe that Jordan Hall may not be there right now, but I think he has a very good chance to be there eventually as a real difference-making defensive lineman at some point in time this upcoming season. As good as Jalen Carter was last year? No, probably not. That's going to be very, very hard to do. But as good as Georgia needs someone to be this year? Yeah, I think that Jordan Hall could be more than capable of getting that done. I also think it was really exciting on g-day to see damon wilson get a couple of i'll use air quotes here spring game style sacks where he was clearly coming off the edge you know with a with a shot towards the quarterback whistle gets blown whatever else but he showed the quickness that made him a five-star prospect coming out of high school once again this is a guy that's still learning how to play at this level but you can't deny the talent and so when smart says we'll do some things with linebackers we'll do some things to get guys involved maybe it's those edge outside linebackers that smart also kind of has in mind there you'll kind of keep front seven all in mind when you think about what your defense front has a chance to be when it comes to guys like hall and comes to guys like damon wilson you know kirby smart will acknowledge how young they are but you also have to acknowledge how talented they are too uh this is what smart said about those guys got a ways to go they're not ready but um they know that and uh they're working really hard at it and the sooner they get ready the better we're going to be because we need both those guys to uh, step up and play so um they, they they're just young i mean it's like it's okay to be young and they have you know a ways to go and 
I think they'll get there. I think both those guys will contribute and help us uh, next season. I'm very pleased with where they are and how hard they work, but uh, they're not there yet. So, listen, when it comes to Cole Kublik, he's an analyst that I respect. He obviously watches the games closely. You know, if he says that the Georgia defensive line didn't have a good game on G-Day, you know, I'm certainly not going to dispute that necessarily. I, I've told you many times before that I don't really care about the defense on G-Day. They're hamstrung by the the rules format, you know, or not the rules format, but just like the, the general format. They don't really show you a lot. You know, I've jokingly said before, I don't want the Georgia defense to do to the Georgia quarterbacks what it does to other teams' quarterbacks. I don't want that to happen. So I want the Georgia defense to kind of be playing at a disadvantage because I don't want them going out there and, you know, being game wreckers and train wreckers, whatever it was Kirby Smart said the other day. I don't want them doing that to the Georgia offense. And I don't know any Georgia fan that does. So, you know, at the beginning of this game, especially the Georgia offense was kind of having its way with the first team defense. Sounds like during the other spring scrimmages, that might not have necessarily been the case. But Cole Kublik says that he looks to see a Georgia defensive line on G-Day. They didn't perform all that well. Maybe he's right about that. Maybe, maybe that's the case. But what if the takeaway from that is not that the Georgia defensive line is somehow deficient because given how successful Georgia has been with its defensive front in each of the last two national championship seasons, and really for almost every year of Kirby Smart prior to that, you probably should make an educated guess and assumption that Georgia will probably be fine on defensive line during the season, even if you you know, want to get into the weeds about what a Jordan Hall might be or what a Tyron Ingram Dawkins might be or what a Christian Miller might be. Just generically speaking, as a group, they'll probably be fine because Georgia typically has a good defensive line. But what if less than a great day from them on G-Day that Cole Kublik says he saw, or if that's more of a statement about the Georgia offensive line? Y'all, I think we have to be really mindful of the notion that this Georgia offensive line might be very, very good this upcoming year. Marius Mims could be one of the sport's best players. You look at Cedric Von Prahn there at center. His decision not to go to the NFL could turn out to be, and I believe will turn out to be, a very big deal. Tate Ratledge is one more year removed from a pretty serious injury situation. We may see a better version of him this year than we saw a year ago. The competition at offensive tackles we talked about last Friday – that seems like it's been a real battle where Georgia may be content to play either Blasky or Green and feel okay about them both. That's at least six offensive linemen that you feel really good about. The emergence of Monroe Freeling may make it even more than that. Michael Morris there as well. That offensive line may be a very big strength of Georgia here this season. And maybe that's what the, the true key takeaway from G-Day is supposed to be. Not that the defensive line is some sort of glaring deficiency, but in a battle with a Georgia defensive front that's been great now for multiple years, the Georgia offensive line can more than hold its own. And if that's true, that is very bad news for every team Georgia has to play this season. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Brady Pest Management, and happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Normally, it's 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Uh, no first and 15 this week. We'll get back to that next week. For today, it's 10 a.m. across all video platforms, dognation.com, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all of those. Of course, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, Apple, Spotify. Some of you listen directly on SoundCloud. Some of you wait for me to post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. However you get to us, we're just really, really glad that you get to us here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management for making it all possible there as well. The official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. It's a really cool thing to have as a part of this show because what that means is, is that Breda has been recognized by UGA as the one to trust when it comes to 
keeping Sanford Stadium free of termites or bugs, critters, whatever else. The other athletic venues there as well. That is what Breda Pass Management is all about. And that level of resource, the fact that they've been in business since 1975, 125 different employees, uh, they put that resource, that level of strength to work for you too. Because when you make the switch to Breda Pass Manager, you're going to put more money back in your pocket instantly just for making that decision that's what breda pass management can do for you today put more money back in your pocket so please find them online you know make a switch from that old you know kind of uh sort of run-of-the-mill company you may be working with cost of service goes up quality of service it always goes down that's not the case with breda pass management put more money back in your pocket be super satisfied with the level of service you're getting from the official pest control provider of ug athletics online at bredapest.com that's b-r-e-d-a bredapest.com for a lot more on that all right we're gonna get mike griffith here coming up in a moment we're gonna look at kind of the landscape around the sec uh for georgia here uh obviously is the prohibitive favorite to win the league again once again but what about the rest of the secs what about a game we talked about yesterday that tough road trip at auburn september 30th or what could be a tough road trip and if georgia wins the division it makes the sec championship once again is it alabama is it lsu who are they likely to play in atlanta come december all that with mike griffith here coming up in just a moment prior to that let's go around the doghouse i want to stay on the subject of g-day here for a moment because over the course of years there are obviously a good number of false positives when it comes to G-Day. Spring game heroes that don't exactly line up that way once the fall gets here. But a guy that had two touchdowns going back a couple of weeks ago for George, I'm not quite so sure this won't end up being a pretty big deal. I'm talking about wide receiver Arian Smith. One of the reasons why I have some confidence in saying that is because Smith was also one of the heroes of the Peach Bowl win against Ohio State on New Year's Eve. A guy that showed his blazing speed there, the kind of thing that George has needed in the wide receiver room. And y'all, what you saw from him on G-Day is what we've kind of been hearing about him this spring, that by all appearances, he's healthier than he's been. Now, the challenge for him is to stay that way in the fall, and Smart did not hold back in talking about all of that. But can you imagine how much more dynamic and how different this Georgia offense can be if what we saw from Smith in the uh, in the national semifinal game a year ago and on G-Day on Saturday, if that's the version of Arian we get over the course of the entirety of the upcoming season, that is fun to consider, and Kirby Smart agrees. It's great. I hold my breath every time because I'm worried about, you know, injury. He's really a fast guy, and uh, at times, you know, he, he has some awkward tackles and scares you. Um, but he, he had a good spring. Uh, we, we, we have to be smart about our, uh, our workload and volume of work for him because the more he does, you know, the more he becomes injury prone and he, he, he stretches the field in ways that other guys can't do. So we have to be smart about that. We've all seen that, right? I mean, no one does what he does, which is not the same thing as saying that Georgia doesn't have other fast receivers. They've clearly worked hard to upgrade the speed component of their wide receiver room here over the course of the last couple of recruiting cycles and i think they've successfully done that but smith is the combination of the speed literally a track star as well as the experience and as well as kind of the the moments in game where he's made the big catches he's a little bit more polished than just the sort of typical track star speeds are trying to be a receiver arian's proven that he actually is one he made huge catches touched you know game saving type plays against ohio state imagine a full season of that that's fun to consider uh, a breakout type year for Arian would be a great thing for him individually. But man, that could be a huge boost to the Georgia offense as well. And that is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. And for more on Georgia now, as I said before, the the look around the rest of the SEC, how the rest of this league impacts 
what we see from UGA this season and into the postseason. Let's do all of that with Mike Griffith, the guy who's on the Dog Nation cruise with us, but also nice enough to join us pre-recorded style right now. Hope you enjoy it here on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And you're on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management. Today, you know, Mike and I both are currently, as you hear this, we're floating on the Caribbean on board Independence of the Seas, a part of the second ever cruise with Dog Nation with so many of you. Wish you could all be there, but since you can't be, we're having some entertainment for you while you're back at home on the mainland. That means talking about what's next for Georgia football kind of post-spring practice. And Mike, there was a specific topic I want to address with you today because I think you're a good one to talk to this about. It's the landscape around Georgia for the upcoming season. I think coming out of G-Day, we learned some things about Georgia, certainly coming out of the spring practice. Feels like we know that barring some sort of injury Carson Beck's likely to be Georgia starting quarterback so now you kind of look at an early season where instead of trying to like maybe take the competition between he and Brock Vandegrift into the year all of a sudden now it's about getting Carson ready for what comes up after that and I'll tell you Mike there is a game that's really on my mind right now final Saturday in September Georgia going to Auburn there's really nothing like that prior to that game on the Georgia schedule There's the one SEC game against South Carolina, but because the Oklahoma game got canceled, there's no other road game at all. So while we don't think, on the one hand, Auburn's going to be some great team this year, Jordan-Hare Stadium can be a tough place to play. So how does that early season schedule for Georgia, the Ball States, the Tennessee Martins, the, the UABs, how does that, including South Carolina, of course, but how does that get Georgia ready for what comes next, including a road test against Auburn that can be kind of tough on a quarterback going through that for the first time. What do you think about this early season schedule for Georgia and that first what I think is a tough road game there at Auburn? Well, you you bring up a great point uh, about playing on the road. And, and to your point, you know, Carson Beck has never really been in that environment. We really don't know the floor for Carson Beck. And, you know, because that schedule is so friendly, I expect them to play both quarterbacks early. I expect Kirby – to have not one but two potential answers for Auburn. I mean, what if Carson Beck has trouble hearing the signals and the passing game doesn't get on? You want to have that mobile quarterback that can make plays with his feet available. I think Kirby wants to have two quarterbacks capable of playing. You know, it's like Kirby always says, we're not practicing to beat one team, we're practicing to beat all of them. Well, I think to go 15-0, and I think you've got to be ready and you know perhaps play a second quarterback. I mean, I go back to 2021, we all thought JT Daniels slammed on. You know, but then halfway through the year, here comes Stetson Bennett, and the offense has to change and Georgia evolve, right? And I'm not saying that that's going to happen this year. I really don't know. Uh, I think the competition is ongoing. I think Carson is 1A, a clear 1A, but I think Brock Vandergriff is going to continue to get reps and snaps and play in games leading up to Auburn because Kirby, he always covers all the bases, and that is the first test. When you play that road game like that, I think South Carolina lost a lot. We don't expect much from UT Martin or Ball State, just from a talent standpoint, and UAB, certainly not them either. South Carolina's got some SEC caliber players, but it's going to be in Sanford Stadium, pretty friendly environment. But at Auburn, things can get loud. Uh, we know the Tigers can be tough. I mean, last year I was there, Brandon, when they were beating LSU 17-0, to uh, you know, three or four minutes left in the first half. So Jordan-Hare Stadium, a tough test. Uh, Kirby Smart with the type of schedule that's going to enable him, I believe, to have – Uh, both quarterbacks uh, at at the ready in in case both are needed so what you're saying is something a few weeks ago that I would say as a Georgia fan I would have hoped would have been true 
you know, take this competition into the fall, really figure out who the best quarterback you have is. But Mike, I've kind of changed my tune on that a little bit. I'm fairly convinced right now that Carson Beck is the best fit for Georgia to start right now. And that means I think the conversation around Georgia is supposed to shift to, well, how do you develop him the best? How do you build the offense around him the best? And you know, anytime you spend, and listen, I like Brock Vandergrift as a prospect. I think he has a chance to be a very good quarterback in his own right. But right now, this team seems to belong to Carson Beck. And so, you know, I want Georgia doing everything it can to get back ready for that big test because he seems to sort of be the guy to me right now and so to me in a lot of respects you know a couple of Saturdays ago at G-Day the Georgia quarterback competition at least in my mind sort of ended now the competition is ongoing obviously because competition at Georgia always is but the result seems to be for the most part determined in my mind so now to me it's about getting back ready for what's coming next do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think you. I think you get both of them ready. And, you know, Kirby Smart said, you know, hey, this is you know, with all the offensive and defensive linemen they have, they can have you know four uh, four you know reps going at one time. He said, you know, if you're a quarterback, you know, he kind of sounded like he was putting the recruiting pitch out there. You know, hey, we we could go four deep. You know, we got enough offensive linemen, and defensive linemen, and receivers to you know to be running. So I I, I think that uh, I don't think it's going to be like it was with maybe Stetson or JT the past two off seasons. You know where Todd Munkin is given the number one, like you know, eighty percent of the reps. I don't think we're going to see that. I think Kirby said early on that you know this was a competition that was not going to be ended anytime soon. That was going to go through the off season. That was you know going to go through the fall. And he said he wanted to see both of them playing games. So he certainly implied early on that this was a competition that was going to go into the season. And you know while Carson Beck played well, let's face it, it was a commercial. You know Carson Beck threw three interceptions in the first scrimmage when when Kirby was trying to put his quarterbacks under adversity. So I, I don't think it was necessarily a you know spring game to decide, okay, who plays best, that's the guy, because it, it wasn't apples and oranges. We, we've talked about the different personnel groupings. You know, Brock Vandegrift didn't have the opportunity of playing with uh, with Brock Bowers on the field. It was actually Gunnar Stott, you know. So it, it, it didn't work out where he had a chance to throw to Brock Bowers. And I think Ladd McConkey maybe was out there for one series, and, um, you know, and, and he'd split his reps with two – so I, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't like it was an apples-to-apples competition in spring game. Now, that said, I think Carson Beck has a much higher ceiling as a passer. I think he looked extremely, extremely accomplished and capable to the point that, you know, he's got a ceiling where he could be a Heisman Trophy finalist this year, maybe even win it if Georgia wins the national title. But we don't know the floor. We don't know what happens when things go wrong. We don't know how Carson Beck handles adversity. We don't know if Carson Beck can be consistent as a leader. He was the number two quarterback in 2021 going into UAB week, and something happened where the head coach made the call to start Stetson Bennett in head instead. So, you know, I know Carson's grown, matured. He looked fantastic in the spring game that we saw, the scripted spring game that we saw. But I think Brock Vandergriff, you know, Kirby said he likes mobility at that position. He brings a different element. And, you know, there's different plays that are called for Carson that are called for Brock. And we still have, what, two, three scrimmages left in the fall. So I think Carson Beck is the guy. I put my money on him being the starter. I think he's got a tremendous ceiling. But I also think Kirby Smart wants to know that he's got another quarterback ready to go uh, just in case or if the personnel changes. You know, you get two or three receivers banged up like we saw happen in 2021. Well, maybe now you're not running three or four wide, right? You know, maybe now you're doing a little bit more RPO where you want the quarterback to run a little bit. So – I'm convinced I'm going to take Kirby at his word 
when he said he wanted to see how these guys did in scrimmages and games, and when he pointed out that we're only 25% of the way through it and that 75% is left before the season. So I, I would bet Carson Beck would start Brandon, but I would also bet that Brock Vandergriff will play in the first game. Quick, quick, uh, quick follow-up on this general topic uh, overall. Boy, it really seems like that road game in Oklahoma would fit really nicely into what Georgia's doing right now. <laughs> Even though Oklahoma's probably a better team than Auburn is, better to have that first road test in Norman in you know September as opposed to an SEC game, I, I think. Um, I think everything I've been told, Kirby really wanted to go play that game at Oklahoma this year, regardless of what the outcome would have been in some sort of future game. Doesn't get that opportunity. Really, I think would have been nice to have that game. I think the September schedule looks really lacking without it. I'm talking about from a preparation standpoint, not from a resume standpoint. Uh, how much do you think Georgia's going to miss just not having that game this year? You know, I, I kind of thought the same thing, and, and I kind of hinted at that with Kirby when I asked him at the press conference about not opening with a Clemson or not opening with an Oregon to you know, they could give you that early test and maybe bring that sense of off-season urgency. And he he just rejected it. He said, well, no. He said, we, look, yeah. these guys line up against the best team in the nation every day in practice. I said, you know what? He's right. You know, they can pipe in noise. They can make it hard. And I will say this, Brandon, one thing in my five years covering the program, you don't see Georgia have much trouble with road noise. On the road, you don't really see those delayed games or you don't see their quarterbacks looking discombobulated in these, you know, loud, you know, crazy environments. It just doesn't happen. They're coached up really. He prepares really, really well. I think Georgia does as well as any team in the nation with crowd noise and, and hostile environments, from my experience. Like when they lost at LSU in, what was that, 2019, 18, I guess, 2018, yeah. 2018, yeah. It wasn't about the crowd noise. It no. was just LSU just manhandled them on the, on the line of scrimmage, and Joe Burrow you know, ran for like four first downs, and you know, little did we know who Joe Burrow was. That was kind of his coming out party. Um, so the crowd noise hasn't really been a factor, I don't think, for Georgia. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. I mean, for us as you know, as, as observers, we would certainly like to see it. But Kirby's going to create plenty of adversity behind closed doors. And to his point, those guys are practicing against the best off, you know, defense, arguably that they're going to see all year, and one of the best offenses they'll see all year. So a lot of preparation. This is where that bloody Tuesday comes into effect. The fact that Georgia does a little hit, does things a little bit more physical. Um, you know, I think that in and of itself kind of helps out in terms of the preparation. But but from the outside looking in, sure, it would have been wonderful to see Georgia play Oklahoma. You know, you hear a lot of the, the rival fan bases complaining about Georgia's schedule being too easy. Goodness, you all have short memories. It was Georgia that had to play Auburn two years in a row when on the road when Texas A&M and Missouri joined the league. It was Georgia that had to have five teams have bye weeks before they played them in 2019. It was ridiculous. It was Georgia in 2020 that had to play Alabama and Florida that got to skip Alabama in their schedule rotation. So I, I don't well, want to hear about Georgia catching a break with the schedule, Brandon, because my response to that is it's about time. And my response to that too, Mike, would be when you win the national championship game 65-7, to maybe people should consider they're all easy games. <laughs> That's a great – Well, that's a, you know, and I was thinking the same thing. I mean, you know, hey, this ain't the same Oklahoma now. You know, this ain't the Lincoln-Riley, uh, Baker-Mayfield, Kyler-Murray-Oklahoma. If you check the box score, this 
Sooners had a little bit of a struggle under Venables last year. All right, let me hit a couple of other topics with you here very quick. You're going to be in Destin, Florida in a few weeks for the SEC spring meetings. I am guessing that that particular week will bring an announcement from the SEC that this is the final year of divisional play in this league, and they're moving to a different scheduling format going forward. And I believe it'll be a nine-game conference schedule, but be that as it may, uh, this could very well be the last year of divisional play as a way of determining who plays in the SEC championship. So in this final year of what might be the SEC East, uh, Mike, do you see a challenge and a threat from the division for Georgia here? Obviously, the Georgia-Tennessee game you know, last year was supposed to be that. Georgia actually won the game fairly convincingly. But um, anything to make you believe that somebody might be a threat to Georgia here this season? I mean, just recent history. I mean, you know, we didn't think Missouri was a threat, and they, you know, they beat the heck out of Georgia for three and a half. Quarters. Georgia was very fortunate to win that game at Missouri. You were there, and you know, we we wouldn't we wouldn't have said that was a threat going in. And I guess in hindsight, maybe you know, everybody uh, kind of remembers what they choose. But Georgia was very, very, very fortunate to win at Missouri. Um, you know, Missouri is one of those Jekyll Hyde. You just never know what you're going to get. I don't think Kentucky, but you know what? They got this transfer quarterback, and they got this NFL coordinator back. I, I don't think Kentucky's a big – you know, you look, it's just hard to say. You know, maybe Tennessee at Neyland Stadium, I don't know. I mean, very, very early, and, and we don't know where these teams will be in the month of November. So I don't, I don't consider Vanderbilt a threat. I, you know, South Carolina got hot late last year and, and beat Tennessee and beat Clemson, but, you know, it was and Spencer Rattler's back. But I, I have a hard time envisioning – so – you know, not really. I mean, nobody seems apparent, but I think just winning all your games is tough. It's not like there's one team that you look at. It's just, <clears throat> you know, just the whole collective effort that it takes to stay perfect is, is extremely. That's why teams just don't do it. And there's just never been a team that's, you're, you know, you're battling history here, Brandon. There's never been a modern era team that's done this. I mean, you got to go back to the 1930s with leather helmets before basement. I mean, that's not what we—that's not what college football is now. There's an incredible amount of pressure. There's distractions. There's the human nature of complacency that can creep in. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's just the fluidity of it. You know, week to week, you have guys with bumps and bruises. You, you play a hot team on the wrong day. Maybe weather's a roll. Maybe your team gets the flu. Uh, so, just it's more of a collective concern. Then it is pointing at one team or one game. I mean, I, yes, obviously Tennessee would seem to be the biggest threat because it's a road game, and and you know Josh Heupel is a celebrated offensive coach, but they've got a new quarterback, they've got new receivers, uh, defenses are one year you know more knowledgeable about Josh Heupel's system and scheme. I think they you know defensively there's questions about Tennessee. Uh, I look at Georgia Tech and Brent Key, and and, and quite frankly, I mean I don't necessarily would predict enough. I think that's a tough game. I'm not saying it's a game you're going to lose, but I think Georgia Tech's made that a tough game again, a tough game, physical game, a game that you know you, you pay attention. I'm, I'm paying attention to that game. I'll be honest with you. I didn't pay attention to it before last year. Last year I stood up and took notice and said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Brent Key might be a pretty – and then the fact that it's a sandwich game. you got the SEC championship game the next week. So to me, um, you know, my antennas aren't really up for one – who knows, maybe we'll be sitting there at Auburn and we can't figure out you know, why the offense is struggling and, and you know, Auburn gets a, a, a special teams touchdown or something and they got momentum and crowd noise and we go into the third quarter and it's close. You just never know when it'll pop up in the SEC. So I don't want to disrespect the league and just say it's an automatic undefeated season because I've just seen too many things happen over the years on the road in the SEC 
And I know that, that, that crazy things can and have happened in the league in the past. And then finally, you and I got into this last Wednesday a little bit. Um, it's something I feel pretty strongly about right now. I think the most under-discussed team in the SEC right now is LSU. So if we were to say that Georgia does win the division here, makes the SEC championship, you know, last year everyone thought they'd be playing Alabama, and yet they turned out to be uh, playing LSU. And I think there's a chance that happens again here this year. Now, I, we should also point out that you and I were recording this prior to Alabama spring game on Saturday and also in the midst of some rumors but a potential transfer quarterback to Alabama we'll see how all of that plays out but based on these teams right now as we understand them at the time of uh this recording I don't see an obvious reason why Alabama should be better than LSU I, I think that LSU second year coach that's typically been a time in which you know big improvement sometimes happens LSU was already pretty good a year ago could get even better this year um, I think they've got an interesting tandem of quarterbacks that could maybe find a role for both those guys uh, possibly this season. And overall, you're talking about it's still a, a pretty deep roster. Uh, Mike, it would not surprise me at all, and this may end up being my official pick, that it's actually Georgia LSU again in the SEC championship come December. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian Kelly did a heck of a job last year. Uh, I, don't, I don't think many people predicted that, that Brian Kelly would, would have the LSU in the SEC championship game. They didn't have a lot of starters back. They did like 20 or 22. And, and Jane Daniels did a remarkable job. I had a chance to see him when he was at Arizona State as a freshman. Fantastic, good mobility. Didn't really get it downfield too much. But Neusmeyer, you saw that. And, and how could we not respect and appreciate LSU? They threw the ball for over 500 yards against Georgia. And they had 140 yards in the first quarter. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, the, the threat is real with Brian Kelly and LSU, and and we haven't really put him under the microscope yet in the off season. But but I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think um, I think Nick Saban is very well aware of you know where the threat is at. I think he knows it's at LSU, and you know Alabama might need a transfer quarterback. That kind of tells you everything about where they're at right now. So uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I'll, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I'm not going to rule out A and M either. I know that they faltered badly last year. I think they had some locker room chemistry NIL-related issues. Um, you know, to me, that's a real boomer bust situation there with Bobby Petrino. Uh, but we know they've recruited talent, and we know they've got facilities, and we know they've got money. And you know, so I'm I'm kind of just I'm not counting out LSU. I'm just, or excuse me, A and M. I kind of look at them as the dark horse. Over in the West, I think it would be one of those three teams. Well, I'll tell you this really quick. You know, on our show, Mike, we take live comments. And over the years, I've kind of talked up A&M eventually playing better under Jimbo Fisher. And so it hasn't happened. My audience kind of makes fun of me for that sometimes. So I don't feel like I have a lot of credibility to talk about Texas A&M right now. And I don't really <laughs> think of them necessarily as a, a threat to win the West necessarily. But I do think that Bobby Petrino is one of the more significant hires made in the SEC this offseason. I think it's a signal that Jimbo Fisher knows that what he's been trying at A&M is not working. Ego-wise, he's still kind of a little bit slow to admit that, but the hire tells you all you need to know. I think they have a pair of decent quarterbacks between Wegman, the young guy, and Max Johnson, who's been around for a while. They could potentially produce a, a good starting quarterback. Evan Stewart's one of the best receivers in this league. I mean, you know, what's interesting is A&M plays Tennessee this year and that's one of those games in which hey if you say Georgia's the best and Alabama and LSU are the next best you know it's not obvious to me that A&M's not better than Tennessee and maybe the fourth best team in the SEC this year but as I said my credibility when it comes to uh talking about you know Texas A&M is probably not super high because I have I have been wrong on them frequently uh post 2020 when they had the obviously the very good year well, this is this is a case by case basis, Brandon. I'm not going to hold anything against you because I had very high expectations for A and M as well. And you know what we know about A and M is is that they do have the nuclear silos. 
we know that they do have the capabilities. We know they have the facilities. We know they have the budget. We know they have the in-state recruiting base. We know they have a coach uh, who has won a national championship before. I mean, there is very good reason to be wary of A&M and be aware that this is a sleeping this is a sleeping giant program. And, you know, much like Texas, Texas A&M, I mean, these programs that are in states with this amount of elite in-state talent and the amount of money that they have, now that we've gone to NIL, uh, you know, Texas and A&M, uh, they have tremendous resources that, you know, maybe not even Georgia can match financially. Uh, right now, Georgia has all the momentum in the world, and it's very important to keep that. But I don't think you've been wrong for keeping A&M on your radar. Something went really bad uh, sideways in that locker room last year. I mean, that was a that was a very, very peculiar collapse by Texas A&M last year because uh, that was a talented football, a talented and capable team at their best. As we saw, when they were at their best, they were very good. Uh, but there were times they were very bad. And if they're able to iron out some of those issues, and if Bobby Petrino, I mean, my goodness, if Josh Heupel can come into the league and light up scoreboards like he did at Tennessee with his scheme, why why not Bobby Petrino with the, the talent that Texas A&M has available? Fair question to ask. Uh, all right, good stuff, Mike. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to being, obviously, on board as we are right now on Independence of the Seas. And, of course, a live conversation back here again next Wednesday on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Manager. We'll look forward to talking to you then. All right, thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Fun to talk to uh, Mike Griffith about the outlook for Georgia now, post-spring practice, looking ahead to the 2023 schedule, and looking ahead to everything there. So uh, good information from Mike on all of that. Speaking of some information, let me give you some right now, but the fun we're having on board the Dog Nation Cruise. And what is it, Wednesday? Boy, having a great time, enjoying all of that. And one of my favorite things, when I took my family on the uh, the wonderful ship we were on, Wonder of the Seas, back in February, one of the things that I was really amazed by is how much my you know, wife, my kids, especially my kids, loved all the entertainment options on board. And that's one of the things I think that for you, maybe experiencing a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation for the first time, and some of the folks that are on our Dog Nation cruise are doing this for the first time, is how much fun stuff Royal Caribbean really has on board and the way in which they try to take the entertainment experience on board a cruise the next level like i'll give you for instance my kids love the ice skating shows and there's also moments during the week when you can do your own ice skating there too uh, you gotta take long pants and uh you know i guess uh, socks for that but my kids love the ice skating and uh they love the ice skating shows that really fun it's, it's an example of the kind of world-class entertainment you get on board a royal caribbean cruise vacation that's why i'm so enthusiastic about it letting you know that you ought to be on one of these cruises this summer before 2023 ends or early 2024 when icon of the seas debuts the brand new royal caribbean cruise ship that's awesome jessica slater is a great travel agent she is specially selected for us by royal caribbean and you can call her at 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 and she can get you ready for a great royal caribbean royal caribbean uh, believes that a Royal Caribbean cruise made even better by a great travel agent, and they think that Jessica is. That's one they recommended her to us, so make sure you check her out today. All right, the thing we've been doing for SEC through this week is looking at one big game for every SEC team for the upcoming season. As a way of kind of telling the story about where this team is right now, we're going to do a few more of those here today. Let me start with Ole Miss. I want to talk about September 9th when Ole Miss hosts Tulane. Now, this may not seem like that big of a deal, but keep this in mind here for a moment. First of all, Tulane won the Fiesta Bowl a year ago. They beat the Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, in USC. Although, did Williams play in that game? Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, Tulane won the game. They beat USC. A group of five team, beat the Power Five 
uh, uh, you know, Pac-12 conference champ there. That was a uh, that was a big deal. And uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, you're talking about a a, a two lane team that kind of showed you something. Plus, over the course of the offseason, Michael Pratt, the quarterback, who some thought might leave, some people thought he might go to Florida. Pratt stayed there at Tulane there as well. So this is not a insignificant group of time, a group of five team that Ole Miss will be playing. And when you look at the schedule after this, so after playing in New Orleans, by the way, at Tulane, you got Georgia Tech. Nobody cares about that. But then at Alabama on September 23rd, LSU, the Magnolia Bowl early this season. That's typically a late season game. This year it's September 30th, kind of interesting. And then kind of a swing game against Arkansas on October 7th before having an off week, then playing at Auburn on October 21st. So as you know, SEC West schedule never does you any favors for Ole Miss. That's true this year the same way it kind of always is. Of course, they also draw Georgia out of the SEC East. So, So tough schedule here for Ole Miss. A game like this against a group of five team becomes really very important because if you somehow were to slip up, and it's possible that you could against Michael Pratt and Tulane, then all of a sudden wins in the SEC may truly sort of feel pretty hard to come by. And for a Lane Kiffin coach team who, at the end of last season, losing the Egg Bowl, Kiffin was not very popular with his fans and his boosters because of the way in which he kind of handled the flirtation with the Auburn job. Kiffin probably needs a good season at Ole Miss. And getting all your winnable games and winning all your winnable games, knowing you got some really tough, very hard-to-win games kind of on this schedule too, that's really, really important. And the two-lane game for Ole Miss, because of the quarterback, because of what they did to conclude last season, because of the fact they kept that coaching staff in place, all of that makes this game probably a little tougher than you might realize. Other side of the uh, Magnolia State here for a moment, of course, Zach Arnett's the first-year coach at Mississippi State. This is a sad situation. We all understand that. The passing of Mike Leach, the the necessity to kind of get back to the business of football, Mississippi State making the decision that coaching search wasn't right at the time. Zach Arnett had been doing a great job as defensive coordinator, so let's make him head coach. And if he's going to be respected in this league, he probably needs the multi-year deal. And so all of the trappings are in place that makes Arnett appear to be kind of a full-fledged, full-time coach for years moving forward. But you do have to earn the right and the credibility with your own fan base and the credibility with your own kind of sort of booster base in order to be able to do that. And there's no better way for Arnett to be able to do that in year one than doing the same thing that Mike Leach did in what turned out to be his final regular season game as Mississippi State coach by winning that Egg Bowl game against Ole Miss. Egg Bowl could be very big for Arnett because I don't think there's any rivalry game anywhere that kind of provides more in the way of job security for the coach that wins it than the Egg Bowl typically does. That could be big for Arnett there as well. I'll also kind of give you one more kind of quick point about Mississippi State here for a moment. One of the things that I think uh, could be fun this year is, you know, Arnett in transition to head coach has completely overhauled and, and put together an entirely different offense than what Mississippi State had in place with Mike Leach. You know, Leach did not use tight ends at all. Arnett kind of wants to get back to a little bit more of a traditional version of football and obviously the tight end that's kind of been brought in to do this is Ryland Goatee and a lot of us have kind of believed that when Goatee was here at Georgia that he was simply a, a victim of a very deep roster you know just kind of a, uh, a victim of unbelievable recruiting and had he been able to be fully healthy and had Georgia had a little bit more of an open opportunity for playing time that Goatee could have been much better here at UGA well we'll never know what the answer to that question ultimately was but we do believe for a team that wants to get back to tight ends and hasn't had those in the roster, that Ryland becomes the kind of guy that could really feast in a uh, offense this year that I think kind of wants to feature the tight end a little bit more. So that may be a little bit of a reason to watch Mississippi State to see how Godey kind of operates in that offense. We obviously wish him well as he does that. And it could be an interesting thing 
there for uh, Mississippi State, both in the Egg Bowl and uh, throughout the rest of the season there as well. As Zach Arnett tries to remake the image of the Mississippi State team a little bit. This used to be kind of a Mike Leach-led team, and now it's going to be a little bit more of a tough, hard-nosed team. Even when Leach was head coach, uh, Arnett probably proved to be the best defensive coordinator that Leach had ever had. This was a tough football team. Georgia fans can attest to that, having played them a couple of times in the Leach era. Uh, and now Arnett wants to bring that toughness across the board there on the uh, Mississippi State roster. I'll also finally mention this, uh, speaking of Georgia. So the game I want to highlight from Missouri, we're highlighting one game for each SEC team here this week. How much fun do you think Missouri is going to have coming to Athens on November the 4th? Now, listen, ultimately, Georgia's close call against Missouri last year didn't cost them much. They went on to go 15-0 win the national championship. My guess is, though, uh, it'll be pretty easy to motivate Georgia that week and what otherwise might seem like a somewhat meaningless game, the opportunity to go out there and uh, say, hey, this team a year ago, they thought they were going to beat you, and there was that weird dust-up involving Jalen Carter at the beginning of the game and stuff like that. There was the you know the chop block thing uh, in that game there too, I guess. It may not be too hard for Georgia to reach down deep and find a little extra motivation at a time during the season when they might need it against a team like Missouri. And for Missouri, they got its close call against Georgia a year ago they may have to pay dearly for that coming back return trip to Athens here this year. So uh, poor Missouri, uh, I don't know what kind of season they have around this, but November 4th, we would guess, probably ends up being a pretty tough day for them. And we can make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now for you, you don't have tough days. All you have is good days when you enjoy our friends at the finish long drink. And I've always said that to me, spring and summer, perfect time for the long drink. A great chance to get outside, golf course. You know, you want to do it at a you know a bar, a restaurant, but like a patio or pretty soon around the swimming pool. All those outdoor spots, just kind of a great place to enjoy the Finnish long drink. And if you've never tried it before, I'll invite you to go to thelongdrink.com. You can do a couple of things while you're there. First of all, you can look at all four of the great Finnish long drink varieties. The long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, that's 8.5% uh, alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. The traditional, this is probably my favorite. It's, you know, the blue can, it's got the grapefruit flavor, it's got the delicious gin kick. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail, mixed drink right there in a can. It's a wonderful category of beverage, and no better, you know, uh, drink in this category than the finished long drink. I really think you'll enjoy it. So try some today. Go to thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code, and you can find out where you can pick some up. The finished long drink. Hope you enjoy that today. So this week, we are taking a little bit of a hiatus from our golden shoes, something we normally do to kind of celebrate uh, Georgia fans, something funny, you know, what, just kind of a nice, fun way, funny way oftentimes to conclude our week. Of course, it's named in honor of the thrown shoe in the Florida LSU game going by all the way back to uh, 2020. Uh, we still kind of make fun of that and kind of enjoy that, Marco Wilson. And so that's where the golden shoe kind of came from. We've done that for, for many years since then. It's just something we just sort of enjoy doing. And you guys are always great about sending so many submissions in to us. So we'll look forward to getting back to that again next week. But something we still do, no matter what, is our Gator Hater Countdown. It's a reminder that no rivalry game stands as more important than the game against those lousy, stinking Gators. And what could, buy, could be the final cocktail party uh coming later on this season 185 days from now georgia looking to get that win against the florida gators this is dog nation daily presented by breda pass management we will see you again tomorrow